One, two, 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 one, 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 Jeremy, can you hear me? Jeremy. I wonder if this isn't compatible. One, two, three, one, two, three. Jeremy, can you hear me? Jeremy, can you hear me? Jeremy, back here. Back here. Back at Sanctuary. But it says 1032. Jeremy. Jeremy. I'm standing at the back of the sanctuary. Hey. I have money for you. It's in my bag. Okay. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Hey. Oh, hey. sorry. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. How are you? Hey. Good to see you. Oh, hi. One, two, three. One, two, three. Is it maybe a setting on the the box? Well, I switched out that mic because that mic wasn't working around. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, that was okay. Let's try that one more time, can we? Good morning. Good morning. So good to see everyone here at Capital City Church. And it's such a good place to be this morning. Can you stand to your feet? And uh, we are going to uh, go right into a time of worship today.
thankful that the battle belongs to him today. We don't have to carry it. We don't have to deal with that. We just lay it at his feet and sing through the night. Thankful for his promises today. Confidence is your faithfulness, Lord. I 
His promises are yes and amen. Man, He is so good today. He is so good. Thank you, Lord. Let's continue to worship Him.
just wash away any vanity and any self-infliction glory, dear God. Because we want to just humble ourselves, ready to receive change, ready to get rid of the ashes and embrace the fire. God, I don't want to miss what you're trying to do in my life. So would you just accept this offering of a surrendered heart and an open mind and obedient ears? because your name is so worthy, so worthy of every breath that I have to breathe and every heartbeat that I have to give. And so until I leave this world, God, would you just find me right now completely surrendered, trusting that you will split the waters, that you will join me in the fire and that you will see me through every battle God, you were, you are, you always will be. So call us to be the ones. God, call us to be the example. Call us to be the church. God, we're hungry. So would you meet us here? In your precious holy name, amen.
church. How's everybody doing today? Can you hear me? Yes? No. All right. There we go. Can you hear me now? Good, good. All right. It is good to be with you. Uh, we are having some technical difficulties with the mic there, and so we got them sorted out. Um, but we are dialing into our last week of our series called The Call, and, and it's it's titled Grow. I guess, I mean, it's third week. And so we are going to kind of teach you how to grow as a Christian, grow in Christ. Is everybody okay with that, growing a little bit? When are we not okay with growing? When we see it on the scale, right? We're okay with growing until we see it on the scale. But we're going to be growing a little bit, and we're going to be talking about um, growth. But one thing that you have to understand first and foremost is that growth starts with a right foundation. And so if you don't have a solid foundation, if you're not focused on the right foundation, you're not going to grow. Can we all agree on that? And so we want to take a look at Matthew 16. We're going to be in Matthew 16, and we're going to look at some dialogue between uh, Jesus and his disciples and what he had to say on the topic of growth and understanding what life was all about. But in Matthew 16, 13, Scripture says this, Then Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked and he looked at his disciples, But who do you say that I am? You're my closest friends You've been with me in ministry. Who do you say that I am? Peter, one of his closest friends, looks at him, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And in that one statement, we find the basis for all of creation. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. That is our sure foundation. And Jesus went on and said this, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. In fact, all the human beings around them were saying, that's blasphemy. You did not learn this from any human beings. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the powers of hell will not overcome it. The powers of hell will not overcome. And now oftentimes we read this and we say, well, this is Jesus setting up Peter to, to lead the early church. He's the foundation. Peter is the foundation of the early church. And while that is true, he was the leader of the early church. Make no mistake, Peter was not the foundation. It is found in the confession of Peter and oftentimes we kind of misplace that. And we even, you know, uh, elevated Peter to sainthood in the Catholic Church. And, and, they, and they said he is the foundation of all things of the church. And, and we have to be careful assigning a man that high of position. But what was important in this moment is that his disciples understood that in this statement, all of, hum, all of humanity would bow before Jesus. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living 
God. Your belief, your understanding on that topic will affect the rest of your life. How you view it, if you believe it, it changes and shapes everything about you. If this really is the foundation of all things, the foundation of the church, then how should this change the way we grow? It should affect the way we grow. It should affect how we view life. John 14, 6 says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. If he's the foundation, then he is the way, the truth, and the life. It is only through him. Revelations 22, 13, he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. Before the world began, there was Jesus. After the world ends, there will be Jesus. And everywhere in between is about Jesus. And so it shapes the way we think. Psalms 34, 4, he will deliver you from all your fears. He's a God who cares. Deuteronomy 31, 6, he will never leave you or forsake you. Genesis 22, 14, he is a God who provides. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is all things to all people. He is everything. He is the Messiah. He is the foundation of what we believe. Any obstacles you are facing can be overcome so long as this foundation is not compromised. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If there's one thing you leave with today, and you say, what can I take from this message that will help me grow exponentially in my faith? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We need to tie our anchor to that, and we need to hold on to that. And so when the world sways us back and forth, we have a sure foundation. And it's everything, people. I don't just keep saying it because I'm trying to get it to stick in your mind, although I want you to remember it. It's everything. Your whole existence is rooted in this one statement. So the, the question I have is whatever you came in with today, is the struggle you're facing or the, or the struggles you have in life, are they causing you to question this foundation? Because if so, you need to reevaluate them. If they are pulling you away from this uh, foundational statement, then we need to reevaluate what's going on in our lives. Are we doubting that Jesus is the Messiah? Satan will attempt to lay two traps for you. Though they may look very much alike, they are different. Satan's objective is to pull you away from the foundation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he does that in two ways. He does that through a means of self-preservation and self-elevation. He wants you to think that your life is worth preserving to the point where you act irrationally and you begin to move away from his will in an effort to preserve your own life or the life of your loved ones. And the reason Satan uses this tool of self-preservation is because it is a means of fear. It's a fear tactic. If I can get you to be afraid of something enough to where you start thinking about your own self-preservation, then you're operating from a state of fear instead of a state of faith. A state of faith places your hope and trust in the foundation that Jesus is the Messiah. He will deliver you. He will save you. 
You see, we don't understand really the idea of a Messiah in our world the same way uh, the early Jewish people did in first century uh, Palestine. You see, for them, this was the long-awaited Messiah that would deliver them from captivity. They were oppressed, and they were hungry for deliverance. And when they said that he was the Messiah, all hope was rooted in the Messiah. Everything they had lived for, everything they had heard their whole life was that this Messiah would come and he would fix everything. And so when they heard that Jesus was the Messiah, they were either eager and excited to accept him or they thought it was a lie. They were either operating from a position of fear or faith. Were they working with self-preservation? And let's look at this. So we have to learn to rebuke these traps of self-preservation and self-elevation. First, Matthew 16, 21 through 23 says this. For then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading chief priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And so I want you to imagine for a moment Jesus, and I don't think this is necessarily uh, too much to, to stretch here, But oftentimes, they would crucify criminals in the streets. So it wasn't entirely uncommon to be walking down the street and see someone hanging on a cross for a crime. It was a way of saying, hey, you do this and this is going to happen to you. Right? And so I can imagine them kind of walking down the street and they see someone hanging on the cross and Jesus began going, you know, one of these days. They're going to hang me on one of those. But don't worry. Three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. And all hope and salvation will be restored, and you will no longer have to fear death. And I imagine maybe this happened a couple times. And then Peter, being one of his closest friends, one of his closest confidants, pulls Jesus aside and says, Hey, that's not good for the brand. People don't really like the idea. You have this big following now. I mean, we see just a few chapters earlier, they had just fed 4,000, and Jesus had preached to 4,000, and they had all these people following him. And Jesus and Peter goes, This isn't good. You need to stop talking like this. Heaven forbid, Lord, this would never happen to you. Jesus looks at his best friend. The same person that he had just spoke to and said, you are the foundation of the church. Your confession is everything, Peter. You are the rock. He looks at me and says, get behind me, Satan. But he says something so interesting here. He says, you are a dangerous trap to me. 
You see, something that is often lost in this, I think, as we look through this passage, is we forget that Jesus was all God. But he was also all man. The appeal of self-preservation still appealed to Jesus' flesh. So when Peter tried to disrupt the flow of the Spirit, the God in him was on mission. But the flesh said, I got to put Satan behind me or it's going to trap me. You see, Jesus was still tempted. We, we, we pretend like he's not like us. But he still battled the flesh while he was here on earth. What made him God, what made him strong, what made him Savior was his ability to overcome the flesh. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this. This high priest, our high priest, Jesus, understands our weakness. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You want to know why you find grace when you go to God? Because he wasn't always tested the way you have been tested. Your heartache, your pain, your suffering, he's been tested. He's been there. He's walked a mile in your shoes, as they say. He understands and can sympathize with you. So he shows grace and mercy. But it was still a trap for him. His closest friend, with good intentions, with the need for self-preservation, was laying a trap for the Savior of the world. And he looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. I don't care how close you are to me, get behind me. That's no good, that's evil. I got a mission, I got a place to be, I got a calling on my life. That's what we're talking about in this series, right? A calling. How many of us have neglected the call, neglected the mission, because out of a need for self-preservation, we said it's too scary. God's calling me to the mission field, but it's too far. God's calling me to a pastor, but it's too hard. God's calling me to love my neighbor, but it's too hard. We want to preserve ourselves. We want to save ourselves. We want to protect ourselves from all harm. Life's hard, people. And it hurts. And it's okay. Because you want to know what? We're all hurting. We all got pain. Thank God we got a Savior who understands that. And can sympathize with us. And shows grace towards us. Peter's words did tempt Jesus. That is why Jesus rebuked them so quickly because he could not allow them to sit in that thought process. That's often what happens is we linger too long in the thought process. Sin comes to our mind and instead of saying, get behind me, Satan, we sit there and go, well, maybe he's got a point. 
maybe he's got a point. Maybe it's too expensive. Maybe it's too dangerous. Maybe it's too costly. Maybe I should just play it safe. Man, I'm glad Jesus didn't play it safe. Because I'd be lost without a Savior on my way for hell. The thought was evil and it was dark. Peter might have had the right intentions, but as Jesus said in the passage, your mind is not thinking on the things of heaven. Your mind is thinking on the things of earth. You need to rethink how you think. You need to rethink the day-to-day struggles. Jesus has been there. I started doing a little breakdown of all the times I saw in Scripture where Jesus was tempted. In the wilderness, he was tempted to turn stones into bread for self-preservation. He was tempted to jump off a cliff to prove a point. Self-elevation and self-preservation. All the kingdoms of the earth were promised to him by Satan. Self-elevation, elevating oneself. The people tried to make him king. Self-elevation. He was tempted to reject the cross by Peter. Self-preservation. He was tempted to reject the cross again in the Garden of Eden. That's why he said, he bowed before his father. He says, I don't want to drink of this cup. It's going to hurt. And he wrestled. And he struggled so hard with that temptation that it said that he, he sweat drops of blood. The temptation was real, people. The struggle was real. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. And then he gets on the cross. And he's hanging on the cross. And the religious leaders are rebuking him and saying, if you're the son of God, take yourself down. And then the thief on the cross calls him out and says, if you're the son of God, take yourself down. Even though he was completely depleted. When do we make the most mistakes? When do we sin the most? When we're the weakest. When we're, when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we're beat up by the world. That's when we sin. But Jesus at his weakest says, not today, Satan. It's not about me. I don't need to preserve my life. In fact, I need to give my life. Every time they asked for a sign, and every time they questioned his identity, he was tempted. Thoughts went through his mind. Why do we say that? Because they go through our minds. And what I'm, I'm not saying that Jesus dwelled on those thoughts. I'm saying they pass. They pass through, they pass through, they pass through. Right? We, we've heard that expression. It's one thing to let a bird fly overhead. It's another thing to let the bird build a nest in your hair. That, that old saying, I, I don't know why that still sticks with me. But I don't think the garden was the first time he prayed, not my will but yours be done. Every time... Jesus fed the 4,000 or the 5,000 or he healed the blind or, or he healed the lame. 
It says that Jesus would retreat and be alone and go off into prayer and isolation and he would spend time alone with the Father. And I believe that in those times, he got on his knees before God the Father and he said, the struggle's real, Father. And the closer I get to the cross, the harder this cup becomes to drink. And I think he would pray, and I think he would cry, and I think he would wrestle. And then he'd wipe his tears. He'd get back up, and he'd say, what's next, Lord? What's next, Father? You see, if we're going to grow, we need to learn to struggle. There is no growth without struggle. And yet, we have built a society that adamantly resists any kind of discomfort. We don't, want to be, we don't want to be uncomfortable in any way. And so we've made the struggle evil. And the struggle isn't evil. The struggle is where growth happens. Self-preservation. What does it look like in our church? What does it look like in our world? I want to preserve my role in the church. I want to preserve my place in the church. I want to preserve my ministry. I want to preserve my church. I want to preserve my money. I want to preserve, insert whatever you want to preserve. And you want to hold on to something. But as Pastor Jonathan said last week, Behold, I am doing something new, says God. You see, when Jesus came talking about the cross, talking about laying down his life, and Peter cut him off and said, Lord, heaven forbid, this should not happen to you. And he said, get behind me, Satan. What Jesus was declaring is, you don't get it, guys. I'm about to do something new. I'm about to do something new, but I can't do something new as long as we're holding on to the old. So if we're going to grow, we got to grow through the struggle, and we got to grow through these obstacles, and we got to dodge these traps of self-preservation, and we got to say, what does the Lord require of me today? What does the Lord require of me today? You see, we hold on to all these things, our role, our place, our ministry, our church, our money. Whatever you're holding on to today, here's what you need to understand. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is his, and the fact that you believe it's yours is laughable. It's his. If he wants to take it from you, he can take it from you tomorrow. If he wants to give it to you, he can give it to you tomorrow. But the more we try to preserve things, the more they will be pulled from us. When we go into self-preservation mode, we limit our own growth and the ability of others to grow around us. We must stop fearing that we will be replaced. Instead, we must learn to empower others. If you are able to train your replacement, you must know that you will only grow into something bigger and better. There is no success without succession. My wife read my sermon and she said, that's good. I said, thanks, I stole it from Pastor Jonathan. 
But we were, we, were, we were in a class this week, and he said that, and I thought, man, that's a great thought. But that's what Jesus was doing, right? For three years, he was training his replacements here on earth. Have we ever considered that? He was the son of the living God. And he said, I'm going to train these men so that when I'm gone, they can do greater things than me. That's what he said. You will do greater things than what you have seen while I was here on earth. He was training these men to care for the church and to care for the world. Here you see Jesus showing true discipleship. He is casting off the temptation for self-preservation and instead using it as an opportunity to teach and to train those around him. He was hardest on Peter because he saw the most potential in him as indicated by the previous passage where he established him as the firm foundation of the early church. You see, oftentimes, God gives big battles to people who need to grow the most. And we struggle and we strive, but God seeks to grow you. He believes in you. I think some of us believe in ourselves so little that we find it hard to believe that God can believe in us. But God believes in you. Greatly. Here's the thing, he didn't put you here for no reason. He put you here for a purpose. He has a plan. He has a calling on your life. That's what we've been talking about these last couple weeks, a calling on your life. And you need to start asking what that is. Jesus understood that a day would come. When he would no longer be with them. So he did everything he could to train them. So that they could see what they needed to do. So self-preservation. We want to preserve our well-being. We want to preserve our little slice of land. We want to preserve our life and everything that we have. We hold so tightly onto it. But then the next issue comes at hand. Self-elevation. Self-elevation says this, I'm better than you, I'm bigger than you, stronger than you, I'm smarter than you, I'm holier than you, I'm more sanctified than you. Oh boy. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. This is all in the same passage, people. I mean, the way I picture this, the way I read this, days apart, if not the same day, Jesus was like, good job, Peter. And then he was like, get behind me, Satan. On a side note, we hold on to offenses too long. If someone corrects you, we tend to like run away and hide in our little bubbles and be like, oh, they said something corrective to me. There's no growth in that. Sometimes you need to take it on the chin and move on. Be thankful that someone loves you enough to correct you. Side note. Anyways, self-elevation. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. It's not about you. Take up your cross and follow 
me. If you try to hang on to your life, if you try to preserve it, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You see, we're either struggling with one of the two things. We either want to preserve our lives or we want to be elevated. We want to be more important. We have to find a higher role. And yet, the person saying this and teaching this was the son of the living God and found that his most important thing he could do on his last night with his disciples was wash their dirty feet. I could do it better. That's what self-elevation says. I could do it better. Who's ever said that, right? And and let's be honest, I don't want you to raise your hand, but maybe you've listened to to the singing, or maybe you've watched the children's ministry, or maybe you've heard the preaching, and you thought to yourself, I could do it better. And pick whatever you want, right? We all have those categories or those things where we go, ah, we could do it better. We could do it better. I used to think that. Jonathan and I used to work together before we came here. Four or five years ago, I was really immature. I wasn't a delight to work with. Looking back, I apologize to Jonathan. I really do. Because I was a bad pastor, I was a bad friend, and I was a bad brother. In my mind, in, my, in the wickedness of my heart, just full confession here, I looked and I said, I could do it better. Self-elevation. Then I went out and I did it. And I realized it was really hard. And I remember calling Jonathan after about a year of being a lead pastor and said, dude, I'm so sorry, I was a jerk. I would have fired me. God has a way of humbling his people. Four years later, Jonathan calls me and says, you want to do this again? I said, yeah, let's do it again. You see, what's changed, though, is that in my heart, God said, you don't get it, Jacob. It's not about you. It's not about Jonathan. It's about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You guys are better together. You see, church, the reason our churches aren't growing is because we feel the need for self-elevation. We have pastors who don't want to play in team efforts, and so they'd be more content pastoring a church of 10 to 20 people instead of being on a team pastoring a church of 200 It's not necessary. At some point, we have to learn that our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ aren't competition. They're complementary. And when we start understanding that and we realize it's not about self-elevation, then we can do something for God. You see, I think the only cure to this is this. And the problem is, not enough of our church is here. 
We might take this pose physically, but we don't take it spiritually, and we don't take it mentally, and we don't really submit to what God has for us. And I I don't know. I say it a lot. It's not about me. Like, you'll hear me say that a lot. Because it's how I keep myself in check. Anytime I start to get a little little big-headed, I just say, it's not about you. My dad was great about that. Growing up, he'd constantly remind me, dude, it's not about you. Thanks, Dad. What I need to hear. We're better together, though. We're better together. One of the greatest blessings I've had over the last couple weeks is watching Jeremy and Colton work together. They have been such a blessing to watch. These are two young men with young families doing their best for the kingdom. And there's no competition. It's all complimentary. And as a result, the church is blessed. When the people of God stay humble and they lay down their lives for one another and they put the mission of God before their self-preservation and their self-elevation, all things grow around them. It's a blessing to see people lay down the things they value for a higher call and a higher purpose. There's room for everybody in the kingdom if we stay humble. If we stay humble. The enemy will sow seeds and put evil self-elevating thoughts into your head. We must rebuke these thoughts. Believe it or not... I have found myself actually saying, get behind me, Satan. And maybe, I think some of us all actually, like, I'm a big proponent of declaring things. Like, I will say it out loud to myself when nobody is around. And if people ever walked in, they'd probably think I was crazy. But we wrestle not with flesh and blood. I'm going to vocalize the warfare. And sometimes you just need to do that. An evil thought of self-elevating thought process comes through your mind. You just need to say, nope, not today, Satan. Get behind me. That's divisive. Church, we need this. To grow, we need the people of God to see the trap. And we need the people of God to say, get behind us. You have no place here. We need to humble ourselves. The last thing I'm going to leave you with is you need to position yourself for success. Well, Jacob, where should I be positioned for success? Where is the best place to be positioned for success? All right. Behind Jesus. You see, the problem with Peter's encounter... And the second part of this passage is that he got out of position. He got out of position. There was the cross. There was Jesus. Jesus was headed to the cross. And Peter had the audacity to say, hey, hold on, Jesus. I wonder how many of us have stunted the growth of the Spirit in our lives because we've cut Jesus off and said, hold on. That's no good, Jesus. That's no good. 
Just get out of the way, people. Get out of the way. I don't think Peter ever, well, I don't know. Peter had the audacity to, like, try to do it again. He was bold. But after he saw the resurrected Savior, he was all in. You see, we live for the resurrected Savior. You're better off following him. That's where you need to be positioned, behind him. Where does God want me? Instead of asking, what am I supposed to be? I want you to start asking the question of where does God want me to be? There's a difference. There's a difference between who you are and where you are. You see, sometimes we get so caught up in who we want to be or who we should be that we forget to be in the right place at the right time. You should be at church on Sunday mornings. Why? Because it's good for you. It helps in spiritual growth. It's a weekly discipline that you say belongs to God. You should be in the Word. That's a position. That's a place. You should be in the Word. Why? Because it will help you grow. You're out of position. Most of your life could be solved with just being in the right position, being in the right place. You're standing when you should be kneeling. You're standing here like this during the worship service when you should be like this. Positioning. Surrender. Obedience. Following. That is what we are called to do. Circle back. Foundation of the world. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If that is really true, there is only one position you should be. Behind him, as close as you can be to him. But never getting ahead of him. Never getting off to the side. Behind him. I remember, and I think we all remember this a little bit, but we were kids. And maybe our father was walking in front of us and there was snow outside. And maybe the snow was deep. I remember that, right? And dad would step with his big boot. And then dad would take another step. And then me with my little leg would step into his footprint. And then to his footprint. And then into his footprint. I was staying as close as I could to the safest place I could. That's where we need to be positioned. God has a calling on your life. And if we are to grow, we need to position ourselves closely behind Jesus. I want to make a plug here for a moment on Action Sunday. Okay, so Action Sunday. This is really important because it's talking about positioning. Okay? Next week is Action Sunday. It's an opportunity to sign up for all the different ministries we have here at the church. We have ministries for everything. We have groundskeeping. We have facilities. We have tech team. Uh, We're going to have worship auditions here in in a few months. We're going to have children's ministry. we got youth ministry. we got missions. There's countless other ministries that we'll probably throw out next week. There's going to be opportunities to sign up. Here's something I want to make very clear. This is a faith of action. 
We are called to do the kingdom work. We are called to position ourselves in a place that aligns us with God's calling on our lives. And so if you're involved in a ministry and you say, you know what, I, I, I don't, I, I've tried that ministry, I want to try another ministry, next week's your opportunity. If you're not involved in a ministry and you want to be in a ministry, next week's your opportunity. Why? Because you need to get in a position where you can begin to serve and grow and learn and be the Christian that you talk about being. It keeps us humble. And I want to wrap up with this idea from Numbers. Numbers, 20, uh, Numbers 8, 23 is an interesting passage. It talks about the lifespan of a Levite or the ministry of a Levite. Levites were the priests who were responsible for the sacrifices in Israel. But it was interesting because when we talk about positioning of the people of God, from 0 to 25, the Levites were responsible for learning and growing. Who in here is from 0 to 25? 0 to 25, that means raise your hand. 0 to 25, raise your hand. This is the young section over here, 0 to 25. Thank you. If you're 0 to 25, your responsibility is to learn and grow as much as you possibly can right now. But more importantly, 0 to 25, you should be looking to find what God has called you to do. Okay, that's, that's really what you need to be seeking out. It says that the Levites would serve from 25 to 50. They would serve and lead the processions and they would be the key pivotal people moving the church and moving the temple and, and moving and organizing the things of God. Who in here is from 25 to 50? Raise your hand. You're the movers and the shakers. You are the movers and shakers. You need to be doing something. It says from 50 to whenever. 50. I, sorry, I have to say this. I wasn't going to say it, but I have to say it. I had originally in there from 50 to death. And my wife was like, that's a little too harsh. So I took it out, but now I put it back in. Anyways, from 50 to whenever, here's the big thing. You should be teaching somebody what you know. You should be teaching somebody what you know. You see, the problem with all three of these categories is when we get out of position. If we wait till we're 50 to find our call, we miss the prime time of serving that God called us to. It doesn't mean that you can't still do good work, but, but God's calling you to something. Don't put it off. Don't delay. We don't want to jump the gun on things. We want to be looking to invest and grow and develop and lead. God's got so much for this church. But we need to position ourselves. We need to be training and developing. So everything you're doing, everything you're doing in the church, if you're growing and you said, I've done this for 20 years, I'm going to give you the next step of growth. We got any 20-year people in the church that have been doing something for 20 years in the church? You've been serving in the church for 20 years. Nobody wants to raise their hand. It's, it's like the greatest award ever. I think it's fantastic. Here's the big thing. 
Here's your next step of growth. Find a young person and teach them everything you know. Because the church depends on you teaching us for the church to continue. We got to position ourselves. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And as they're coming, I'm going to leave you with some leading questions, okay? Is the path I am on strengthening the foundation that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of the living God? Is how you're behaving, how you're acting, how you're growing, is it reassuring someone around you that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of the living God? That is what you are called to do. You are called to affirm that in other people's lives. And so you need to be teaching, you need to be growing with others. Is the path I'm on kingdom-minded or focused on self-preservation and self-elevation? Is it kingdom-minded? Is it kingdom-minded? Third, where does God need me positioned today? Today, God wants me on stage. Next week, I might be somewhere else. I know in August, he wants me on a mission trip to the Texas-Mexico border. There's different places God's going to have you positioned at different times in your life. All I'm asking is that you seek God on where you should be today. We're going to sing another song, and, and we're going to sing the song that they opened up with, The Battle Belongs to You. And they said, man, you guys, you know, that's not really much of an altar call song. It's not meant to be an altar call song. It's meant to be a worship song. I'm calling you to worship today. I'm asking you to position yourself in a place of worship today. But there's a great line in this song. And it says, when all I see is the cross... All Peter could see was the cross. When all I see is the cross, God, you see the empty tomb. You see, he sees the future. He sees the new work. So whatever you're holding on to, release. Let it go. The battle belongs to him. You are safe releasing it. You're safe letting it go, all right? But the battle belongs to him. You've carried it too long. You've wrestled with it too long. You've tried to preserve it too long. You've tried to elevate yourself for too long. And and maybe sometimes self-elevation is stepping up and going, I'm strong enough to do this on my own. Let me assure you, you're not. You need him. You need him. So the battle belongs to him because he is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. Stand with us if you will. Bow your heads if you will. Dear Lord God, as we come to you and we desire to grow, first we want to acknowledge that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Lord God, give us the boldness to rebuke the traps that are laid around us for self-preservation and self-elevation. And Lord God, help us to position ourselves in places around people that will help us grow and flourish. Lord God, we hand the battle over to you because you are God and you are good and you can be trusted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
go ahead and have a seat this morning. We're going to uh, say goodbye to our online viewers today, our online members. We're so thankful that you tune in on Sunday mornings to be with us, and we hope you'll join us on our Rathmel Road campus very soon. Um, if you're in-house today, my name is Pastor Jonathan, and if you're a first-time guest or uh, first-time-ish guest, uh, we'd love to connect with you. So if you've never had a chance to fill out a connection card for us, you can do that um, by scanning the QR code on our bulletins or filling out a physical connection card back at the 